the 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Rolling into the 4 o'clock hour. We apologize. We got a hard out at the end of the hour. Eric Hollow, we wanted to keep him for a few more minutes, but we got to get out. Uh, he does have an autograph signing. It's coming up on Sunday, 2 to 3.30. The link and information will be up in a matter of seconds at ESPN Las Vegas. It's Vegas Sports and Hockey, the Outlet Mall South. Sunday, Eric Hollow, 2 to 3.30, 2 to 3.30, 2 to 3.30. Busy weekend for the guy. Yeah, he that was a good recollection of uh, how many weddings you've been to in Vegas. He's like my own, and a couple others. <laughs> he was, uh, it went him and Perron and March or so, and they all got into when when we go in the locker room. They, it was those were some fun times in that first season because everybody was in there, and obviously, you know, when things are going good, everybody's going to be enjoying themselves. But yeah. it's 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 it was it was a lot of fun to cover that season. And as people are listening, if they're like, hey. Eric doesn't want to answer about the first, or I'm sorry, Eric doesn't want to answer about, you know, what it's been like with VGK since, because he's not here. Right. We're still going to ask, because yeah. I know all of these guys, Yeah. every one of them who have left, were traded out, look at the organization and go, what could have been? Oh, absolutely. You know, they look at it. You know, Nate Schmidt looks back and goes, all right. And fans look at it that way, right? Listen, they come out of that first year. They have unreal, like, probably never see a team do that again, right? They've got this hungry team, and now they've got salary cap room. And really, when we look back on this beginning era, you know, even like five years from now, we look back and say this era is complete, you know, in year seven, right? And then we have, like, a lot of change. People are going to look back and say, did McPhee – do the right thing with all of the money they had after, I mean, nailing it. No one can ever deny what George McPhee did in the expansion draft was brilliant. He destroyed other teams. Well, but he was all set up. But this is what we do in sports, and there are expectations. And Bill Foley has the highest expectations. It's his money. So when we look back, are we going to look back and go, my God, this move was wrong. You spent way too much. You know, listen. We all like Wild Bill, but did they get sucked into giving him too much money after a 43-goal season, right? Did they need eventually to make the move with Leonard? Did, by the way, did they need to sign Flurry to a long-term rich deal There's that's... after that first year? Because I sat in the studio, and there was a guy here, Adam Hill, when everyone else was like, of course, give the man his money. And he was like, well... He's going to be a little older at the end of the deal, so we're going to look back. And I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that every player who has gone looks at it and they're like, eh, man, they blew it. To a certain extent. Like, hey, they should have kept us together and added a couple of pieces, and we may have had a magical second season with the ultimate finish with the cup. Well, and it, w- it wouldn't have been that easy to just say, let's keep everyone together because at some point, contracts are going to run out and s- someone's going to want their money, so they're going to run up against it. But the extensions is definitely what bit them in the ass, I- I point blank. And it starts with the Flurry contract. Did Do I think personally that they should have locked Flurry up long term? Yes, but not 
the rich contract that they gave him. Mm-hmm. Try to keep him here, but for the money, I mean, now you look at it, now he's agreed to terms for what the Golden Knights originally locked him up for. In one year, he's going to make over two. $7 million. So, you know, it, it, it it's catch-22. And to your point, I just want to throw this out there. For as much as we've all been critical of some of the things that have taken place with Kelly McCrimmon, Peter DeBoer over the last, since he was general manager, and we question how much micromanaging is going on, when you said, kudos to George McPhee, let's not be too blind to the fact that McPhee was able to put that roster together because Kelly McCrimmon is a really good scout. Okay. Like he knows. Right. How, so the reason that George McPhee knew how to put those misfits together was because of McCrimmon's smarts. Because that's why he brought him aboard because of his knowledge with juniors and owning you know clubs up in Canada and his knowledge of. And I'm not saying McPhee doesn't know talent, but McCrimmon was a big part of that. Coming up, we're going to get to the uh, interesting exchange today with Derek Carr and uh, a couple of media members. Is Yeah, it's only a couple of days in. It's supposed to be a no-conflict Friday, and there was a little sniping back and forth. And again, it was just basically Carr reacting to predictions and talking about expectations. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Back here on Cofield and Company, we're going to talk uh, some more NFL now and in uh, 15. Big NFL hour, Stanford Route, former Oakland Raider, will be with us. So I've been seeing Raider social media. Um, a lot of the bloggers and, and commenters and been pulling down a lot of predictions, right? Um, and it's mostly the positive predictions. Anyone who gets on them, they'll post the videos there. So, like, it's been a steady stream of Rich Eisen pimping the Raiders, talking about how good they're going to be. And I saw Adam Rank the other day. And um, that's what Twitter and, you know, the, the Internet is for, like, to get you hyped for the season, the NFL season, right? And – the Raiders are, by the odds makers, the fourth team in the AFC. It doesn't mean they're they're a three-win team, AFC West. doesn't mean they're a three-win team. They're right with the other teams, right? So it's a really good debate. It's been going on for three months. Now, I think most players don't pay attention to that stuff at all. I know one player who does, <laughs> and that's Derek Carr. Yep. He uses it as motivation. He will mention it often. He likes to talk about expectations. He just said the other day. It's going to be fun, he told The Athletic. No one thinks anything of us. And I think that's what makes it fun is you always have to put the ball down and play the football games. No one thinks anything of us. When I saw it, I was like, okay, well, I mean, that's a little over the top. You're picked to win over under eight and a half games. You won 10 last year. There are a lot of people who are picking you for – Third and second, maybe not a lot of folks are picking you for first, but I've seen people say, hey, they're going to win 13, 12, 11 games that they can surpass the Broncos, these other teams. So that's not really the case. Like, there are people who think something of you, but that's Derek Carr likes to talk about that. So at the media setup today with Derek Carr, 
one of the other guys from The Athletic, because I think Vic Tafer wrote this story with these quotes, one of the other guys, Tashawn Reed, started asking Carr about his comments, and it got real weird in the room. I said it in like this tone, and now it's been taken to this. But you know how him and Paul like to do things, you know what I mean? They be doing crazy stuff. Okay. So, you know how him and Paul do things. So he's talking about Vic Tafer from The Athletic, who, by the way, was not in the room. Right. And Paul Gutierrez from ESPN.com, who was in the room. Right. They do crazy things. Now you're talking. What, what is that? These are 20 plus year veterans of journalism. So are we now going down the path that what? Was it taken out of context? Are you being misrepresented? The quote that was used. No one thinks anything of us. And what the way the way Carr kind of described it is, I said it in this tone, but it came out this way. It's the written, it's the written word. Like how how is it supposed to come out? Like, I mean, I guess you could say joked Carr. You know, you have to you qualify the way he said it. But he wasn't joking. I mean, we've kind of heard this before that these are the things that drive him. Right. You don't get mad. Hey, you know what? This is what he does. So he continues to answer, and in the middle of it, Paul Gutierrez is like, and, and I would be this way too. Wait, these guys do crazy things. Like, I'd be a little irked. Like, what does that? What does that mean? Look, nobody expectation. Who cares? Like, nobody cares. You know, like at the end of the day, that crap don't matter. You know, we have to go play the football games. You know what I'm saying? So I just got to start speaking my mind, and as I'm getting older, I just say what I want to say. The expectation, all that kind of stuff. Who says that? Honestly, it doesn't matter. Nobody cares. Let, hopefully, they talk about us at the end. Okay. You care, Derek. You care. And again, this is not a big issue. We know who Derek Carr is, right? He can be sensitive. Team Carr is very aggressive on social media. Lots of people are blocked. You know, there's been stories in the past we know from dealing with different newspaper and, and uh, you know, whatever, dot-com people, right, that stuff has been written. Sometimes you're instructed to write, hey, you know, what would be the, the craziest trade the Raiders could make? This is an off-season story. Trade Derek Carr. We talked about it on the air before his contract was reworked. Maybe you trade him. Maybe you go out. If you can get two first-round picks, hell, Vinny mentioned that he had the value of two first-round picks. I think it was before last season. But a lot of people actually thought that Camp Carr may have talked about that behind the scenes. Right? So there's been a lot going on even before Derek Carr got here. Like uh, There was a story of Tom Brady and Mark Davis at a UFC event speaking in front of people face-to-face and actually behind the scenes. And we heard that Camp Carr got a little bit angry. In the end, how much does it matter? If he delivers, if this is what motivates him, he had a very solid year last year off the field. He had to keep the team together. He's had to deal with all this nonsense. So I don't get on Derek Carr for picking things to be motivated by. Well, let's not forget when the paper of record had a full-length spread picture of Tom Brady, mm-hmm. and nobody cares, but Derek Carr made mention that even the local paper right. had a big full-length right. picture He's talking of Tom about Brady, Brady yeah. which they were talking about him because he's at a UFC event. He was talking to Mark Davis. Right. 
That's so, in reference to what you're talking so about. So you all got he, he mentions a couple of media members and say and says they do you know they write crazy things. All right, so let's see where this goes. It doesn't matter, Derek. Why do you talk about it? And why do you? Thank you, Paul. It's so good to see you. Uh, <laughs> I say it because I'm a positive person, and That's I try and uh, it is, and I try and encourage my teammates. There's a way that I say. God already hates that. This is a staple of radio. You got to be able to stop cut sometimes. Um, that was Paul Gutierrez at the beginning, and he's like, if you don't care about expectations, why do you talk about it all the time? And then, like, I'm, I'm, we were both in the room. I'm in the room, and I'm like, ooh, okay. Like, now the media member, Paul, is kind of mad because she said he writes crazy things. So he's coming back at you a little bit. And what you couldn't hear there, you hear there, was when Carr said, you know, I'm just trying to be positive, Paul was like, it doesn't sound like it. Right. Well, and this is not the first time that he's called Paul out. Okay. It's just that he's he's done this when Paul's not in the room. So when Paul's remote and he's watching the live stream on 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 Raiders platforms, whether it's YouTube or the team page, whatever, he's done this before. He's called Paul out. He's called Josh Dubow out. I don't know about Vic, but he's called them out by name. It irked Derek Carr that Paul's editors said, we're going to do a mock trade article. Everybody from the beat come up with your mock, who, who would be the outlandish mock trade, whatever, whatever the words were. The most outlandish trade would be to trade the franchise guy, the quarterback. He didn't mean anything by it. He wasn't calling for it. It wasn't personal. He just, that, that was the, the outlandish trade. He called him out for that. So crazy things are, you know, things like that, but someone doing his job. Nobody, it wasn't personal. Just like I didn't take it personal when Derek Carr didn't answer my real question, but said to answer your real question after a game when it had nothing to do with that. Nobody takes it personal. We know. Everybody's there's a and I know 99.9% of the folks listening right now don't care about the media to player relationship, but there is a relationship there. And we're talking about guys who cover these players every day. And uh, before we play the rest of the exchange with, you know, Paul Gutierrez saying, you know, you do care. You do care about expectations. Um, I'll throw it out there that I, there are a lot of things that really can be settled behind the scenes. Yes. And if there's an issue. Because that's well, athletes and coaches will say that all the time. You know, I've I've, had, I've been around people who are like, "Yeah, I would really appreciate it." You know, tough, tough question, tough situation. Just pull me to the side, and we can talk it out. You know, the player can do that with the media member too. It doesn't. It's not a one way street, right? So if Derek Carr had an issue with, well, first of all, Vic Tafer is the right. That was the other weird thing is one guy wrote it, and then Derek Carr mentions that guy, and then rolls in someone else. Like I, I don't know. Like, like I really like you, Willie, but if. If you if you said something that really bothered Derek Carr, and then you know he's like, eh, and that Cofield guy too. I'm like, wait, I didn't do, I didn't do crap, so I don't know why I'm being rolled in here. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, what's yeah, going on? So yeah. here's the uh, continuation of this. This is Paul Gutierrez speaking up, defending himself. I think because Carr kind of took a shot at him. Doesn't matter, Derek. Why do you talk about it? And why do you? Thank you, Paul. It's so good to see you. Uh, <laughs> I say it because I'm a positive person. And I try and uh, it is, and I try and encourage my teammates. There's a way that I say things to encourage my locker room to maybe put a chip on their shoulder. And sometimes I do it too much, and so I don't appreciate your tone either. You can pump that back a little bit. Oh yeah. Okay, so Willie jumped in. That was going to continue. Yeah. Because uh, when someone tells someone to reel it in or pump it back, right? 
I'm think not Paul, sure, I, I think I'm not Paul, sure if I regret that or no, not. It might have been a good move. I think Paul was going to continue. And you know what? I have on it. I, I've I've said this a million times about Derek Carr, and this is no knock on the media. Um I think he needs to stop punching down, right? Not that we're down and not that Paul is down. Right. You know what I mean? It's just like, bruh, you got your money. You're a leader of a franchise that's, you know, got a you know legendary brand. You had to do all of that last year, which was so much more serious with, you know, rugs and freaking the Gruden situation before that. And then you, it's, you know, the, I'm well, now I'm blanking on the cornerback's name from Ohio State. Who, Damon Arnett. You know, yeah, Damon well, Arnett with the, the gun. It's just like constant, just constant bull crap. Like, just you're you're approaching the second half of your career. You got big money. Just stop punching. Stop being concerned about what people write. But I'm going to also say it from the media side because I saw a lot of reaction. One, we just played the full exchange and why Paul Gutierrez responded. There's a video out there that cut off the beginning of it yeah. where you don't hear Carr say, hey, these guys write crazy stuff. That's not fair either. I know that most people are teed up now to say, hey, the media are scumbags and they're all against the players. We're not, by the way, we're not all the same, so don't talk about us like we're all the same. But I'll tell you this, um, my approach now is, as a 52-year-old, I'm not going to let a 31-year-old guy, I don't care how big they are, who they are, diss me and, right. and not defend myself. Right. Now, if, if you're a simp or if you're a Raider stan and, like, you know, hey, athletes are on a pedestal, folks... Right. If you want to be respected, you can't let people disrespect you. Well, and I'm not saying get it, up and start a fist fight, but you do have the right to go. Listen, now I heard what you said. That's not accurate. So it was a it was an interesting situation. I think there'll probably be a little bit of a you know a little bit of a a dust up turmoil. They'll work it out. But these things happen. You know, where basically you got because I'm not a I'm not a daily person down there. I'm an, I'm going to be down there a lot more this year. Um, but these things happen. When you guys are all around each other, and you have to, you know, you guys have to write timeout. You guys have to write stuff about these players, and you know, sometimes they're going to get annoyed by it. These things don't happen on day two of a training camp. That seemed a little weird. And so this was something that was bothering Derek Carr. Yeah. This, there was yeah. something that's been that's been brewing and stewing, and he's been waiting because once again, as I said, he brought Paul's name. He called his name out. Right, Will Smith, keep my name right out your mouth. There was no smack. He wasn't in the right the press room before when he called Paul out after he signed his extension, whatever it was. Right, right. And, and and I think it he it, it irked him that he wrote that Paul wrote that article or he didn't even write the article. He just submitted the Raiders part of it for a big thing on ESPN. You know, so he it it's been brewing. It irked him that he. Wrote that, I believe, because that, as I can't, I, I don't think that Paul's written anything about Derek since then. So he's been waiting to throw that name out there, and he continually has done it. It's a long time to wait, but you know, in his defense, I, well, I don't, we, I don't forget things. Had them, I don't forget know. things either. Yeah, we haven't had access. So, so um, yeah, they haven't been on the on the. So this is his first access. We have the we have the tentative dates that Carr will be available. We know if when McDaniel's will be available. You know, I mean, they they send out somewhat of a planning schedule for us media members, but it was it was in it was not fair based on the question, based on the article. If that article bugged you, in that Vic wrote it, however it was that he wrote it, 
again, to, to, to what you said, there's no tone to it. it. It's a written word. Go to the writer. However you took it, based off Deshaun Reed asking the question, based off of what you felt with Vic, you had no business in deciding to throw Paul's name and then say write crazy things. When you're talking about accredited members of the media, the president of the Las Vegas chapter of the Pro Football Writers Association, someone who has been covering sports, Covering the Raiders. Covering the Raiders for 15 plus years. Covering sports since the early 90s. You had no business in throwing it out that way. Day two of training camp to set the tone. Paul had every right to now say and fire back the way that he did. As you mentioned, that video that's been edited and left out the part that Derek called him out. Mm -hmm. it, It makes it seem like Paul was in the wrong for cutting it off and saying, well, why does it bother you? He said that Paul would have never, Paul would not have said, if Derek would have said everything that he said, right? When he said, it does, nobody cares, I'm just going to do go blah, 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 blah. If he would have not said, Vic and Paul write crazy things, Paul would not have interjected and said, if you don't care, why do you keep bringing it up? Paul wouldn't have said a word, but you elected to throw him in the mix as someone who writes crazy things. Paul had every right and the reason to stand up for himself. Every and, right and again, in the world, I should say, every right in the world. And again, I understand people are not, you know, that down with behind the curtain with the media when there's little clashes with players. I'll also throw in, I'm not, I'm not here to defend every single media person either. So all, all I'm talking about is what I saw. So I know what I saw. The weird thing is, I could see what was developing. Who are the tools in the room who were laughing? When he said, and by the way, if you're listening right now, I'll be down there. I don't know when, but come up to me and yeah, I called you a tool. Who said thanks? Like were they trying to lighten the mood? Like I, like you can see, you can see something's brewing between these two guys, and people are like, eh, eh, like I'm the glad to see you here, Paul. Like yeah. what do you do? What do you do? When he said thank you, Paul, glad to see you, and they all chuckled. It it sort of fueled and strengthened car stance. Yeah, you know and. I again, I don't know whether I regret or am thankful that I nipped it because you cut him we, off. I cut him off to ask my question. Um, I, I didn't know that Paul was. Go- I, I mean, I, I guess I should have just sat there. We all should have sat there and waited for it to to die down. But here's the thing: I will say this: as it was going, as the back and forth, the one thing that was in my head was, if it goes any further, and and Derek Carr. And, and and his his ire grows. Does he just walk off and then we lose him for the rest of the day, uh, the rest of the availability? So, yeah, I didn't think he was going to do that. He cooled down pretty quick. If I don't I, think he's that if, type of guy. If, if 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 I wouldn't have said something, yeah. And Paul, I got news for you. Well, if Paul would have fired back, well, Paul would have kept going. He would have. When you tell him, uh, quiet down. Pump the brake or yeah. pump pump it down, yeah. right? I don't appreciate your tone. Pump it down. I wouldn't have been surprised if Paul said, "Make me." Cofield and Company will be back in minutes, right here on ESPN Las Vegas. You know, at the end of the day, we talk about mental toughness, right? You know, doing the best thing for the team when it's not perfect for you. Each player in here wants to do one thing, and they want to win. They're not concerned about targets. They're not concerned about rushes. They want to win a game. They want to win a championship. And I think at the end of the day, if they come in here and work hard and accept that role and accept that challenge, which I think they all have, then everything should take care of itself, which I think is what they're all doing. 
It's time for former Oakland Raider and NFL insider Stanford Routes on Cofield and Company. That was the new offensive coordinator for the Las Vegas Raiders, Mick Lombardi, son of Mike Lombardi. And uh, I think that was an Adam Hill question where he was asking about, hey, you know, distributing all this talent. How do you manage all that? So Mick and Josh McDaniels and Derek Carr have a plan, and I think it'll work, but, you know, there there could be issues uh, during the season. We'll see. Well, the guys we're talking about, Devontae Adams, Renfro, and Waller, I don't think are going to, you know, come out publicly and say, hey, you know, I want more than three targets a game. That's going to happen sometimes. Stanford Rout is with us. Hey, Stanford. Fellas, fellas, what's going on? Happy Friday to you. Happy Friday to you. Is I mean, this does happen on teams. I mean, obviously, we see at times wide receivers get, I mean, I think Odell Beckham was annoyed with Mayfield for a lot of reasons, but some of it was because he wasn't getting the targets. Is there a point during the season where, you know, Renfro or Waller or, you know, Adams, you know, is consistently, maybe they're just getting, you know, only three or four targets in the case of Renfro and Waller. And, they, you know, they finally speak up and go, hey, what's going on here? We want the ball more. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it's not because that they're a bad teammate. It's not because they're a cancer or a malcontent or anything like that. It just comes down to, A, I feel like I can help this team win. So if we start off and we're coming out the gate 5-0 and or we're 4-1, you won't hear a peep out of them because – over because the overall the overall product on the football field is that we're winning. That's the overall result. So anybody can get behind that. But whenever you're losing, when you're not playing as well as a team, and you're not getting the targets that you want, you're not getting the production that you feel that you can go ahead and bring to the table, whether it's on the defense side of the ball as well, that's when you're going to have a problem with it. And for receivers, obviously they want the ball. But more importantly, as far as their intricate personal aspect of it, think about it like this. For Devontae Adams, obviously signs the big contract. Was it five years, 140, I think 28 million per year average, something like that. So if Devontae Adams for the next two years only averages 900 receiving yards a season for the Raiders for the next two years, what do you think the Raiders are going to start to think of him and eventually do with him after two years? (laughs) Right, right. So that's the point what I'm trying to make. Same thing for a Hunter Renfro. Same thing for a Darren Waller. People are not going to put him in the top five discussion of tight ends in the football, in the National Football League, because he's not producing. So a lot of times for a certain player, he wants to continue to have the production that will go ahead and warrant the exorbitant salary that he's been getting from his organization. So it's almost kind of like, hey, guys, I can't prove to you that I still got it if you're not giving me the opportunity to. So a lot of times fans will push back and think that somebody's being uh, selfish. They think that somebody's being a malcontent. Somebody's being disruptive in the locker room. And a lot of times that could be the case. But also it's from a player standpoint of like, listen, I know that if I don't produce, you guys are going to get rid of me. Well, I want to at least be able to have the opportunity to produce at the level (laughs) at which you guys give me a contract in which it warrants. So if I can't do that, I can't produce, you're going to get rid of me anyways. So I might as well go ahead and make a stink about it and let you know that I need the ball. That was a good answer. That's a really good, because I think most people look at anyone who's griping as selfish, but you know, there's, there is another side to it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times fans don't realize the business aspect of football or should I just say sports? Let me jump in for a second. I say this to fans all the time. What if this was happening at your workplace? Exactly. You wouldn't say something. That's why fans sometimes like 
dude or dudette, think about if you're not getting what you were promised or what you thought you were going to get, and it's reducing your value down the road. You don't say anything. You know what I can tell you? I don't want to spill the beans and pull back the curtain, but here at Lotus Broadcasting, we got a lot of people who are always worried about what they're getting and what they're not getting. Sorry, I have to throw that out there. <laughs> and I couldn't agree more. And that's where I think a lot of people will go and they'll look at somebody like a Hunter Renfro, a Devontae Adams, a Darren Waller. And by the way, these guys are not griping or any stretch. We're just talking about these three just as an example as far as a euphemism for somebody feeling like they're not getting enough targets. I just want to go ahead and put that out there. So in that type of situation, Darren Waller, I'm not even sure what his salary is, but I'm pretty sure it's a nice number, probably somewhere in the double digits. No, Same thing not yet. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. No, Waller's playing on a Waller's playing on a contract that's more like eight nine million. So if anyone has, he's he's been extremely nice. And okay, so yeah, so he's still under ten million. Okay, exactly. Oh, yeah. So so for Hunter Renfro just signing that contract, I think he's getting what fifteen a year, something mm-hmm. in that yep. range, I believe. Yep. Well, yeah, so they want to continue to be able to have the good salary that they have or possibly get a raise at some point in time for a Darren Waller. So for them to be able to do that, they have to produce. And I think for a lot of for a lot of fans, they look at it like this. Well, Darren Waller, you're making eight, nine million dollars a year. You should be just fine. I mean, so what if like you're not able to go ahead and make even more money? You've already made enough as opposed to the common uh, the common nine to five worker. So you should go and just be happy with whatever you get. And that's where fans don't understand. It's all relative. And when you look at the economics of the NFL and you equate that, you got to go ahead and extrapolate it to the economics of the nine to five working class gentlemen. That's where it's still the same thing. It's a larger scale, but it's still the same. It's still the same dynamic. It still has the same mentality of, okay, I see that guy over there in the other state right across from us in California named uh, George Kittle. He's making X amount of dollars. I know I'm just as good as him. I want to be able to make as much money as him. Well, guess what? I can't do that if I don't produce. And that's where I think fans sometimes forget. They look at players like they're cartoon characters. They're human beings. They got families to feed. They got to put food on the table for their wife, their kids, their family, their mother, their father, grandmother, grandmother, grandfather, you know, whoever. That's where fans sometimes forget that players are human and they're not cartoon characters. They're not robots. Well, let me get one thing clear just so you know. I'll never use the phrase do that. Just, 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 just to make that clear. And you know who's not worried about what he's getting? Kyler Murray. Oh, yeah. Not anymore. Not anymore, Stanford. He was. He, he was. No doubt about it. Uh, man, you know, kudos to him. Kyler Murray, he's from Dallas, Texas. So anybody from the state of Texas, I'm going to ride with him no matter what. But I think it's also very interesting if you notice pretty much the same contract as Deshaun Watson. What, five years, $230 million. $46 million a year average, something like that in that vicinity. But the very interesting thing was, it was what, I think 160 guaranteed, 105 guaranteed at signing. And it just makes the Deshaun Watson contract for the Cleveland Browns just that much more astronomical. Even aside from Deshaun Watson's greatness, but just with everything else that's looming around Deshaun Watson right now, I'll just go ahead and just leave it at that. For it to be fully guaranteed. And obviously, you know, a lot of quarterbacks are going to use that as a template. They're going to use that as a blueprint for their contract negotiations and for Kyler Murray's deal to come out with being 105 guaranteed to sign it, which, by the way, there's nothing to sneeze at. Mm-hmm. Like, that's still phenomenal for him. But for it being so far off 
of being fully guaranteed. It just really resonates with me exactly how astronomically um, an anomaly the uh, the deal for Deshaun Watson, the Cleveland Browns. But nonetheless, I think that uh, I think that Kyler Murray is going to be a fine player. I think he's going to get even better in this league. He obviously has to get more mature. We all know that. And uh, Cliff Kingsbury has to learn from some of his errors that he's made towards the end of the season, the uh, the, uh, the back stretch, or should I say the home stretch, coming down in November and December. And I think those guys will go ahead and make it right because if they don't, I believe that you're going to see probably Steve Kime, Cliff Kingsbury, and Kyle Murray all being on the exit end of this thing if it doesn't work in about two or three years down the road. Well, let's go back 45 seconds. I want you to build on Kyler needs to mature and also the reaction. And again, these are people from outside. They're just watching the game. It's you know media folks, people saying that he's kind of a sourpuss. I mean, I think that... Uh, you know, whenever you saw them play the Los Angeles Rams in the wild card and they got blown out. And I remember how Kyle Murray felt like the team did not they set him up for failure. Like, And then he comes out. Obviously, he deletes everything about Arizona off of his Instagram page, which to me, like I said, I'm 38 years old, guys. I'll be 39 real soon. So I come from a different generation. But, you know, if you have a problem with your team. That's one thing. That's completely understandable. That happens. But to go as far as to delete everything off your page when you know that you're going to have to be on this team coming this fall anyways, even if you want a contract extension, they're not going to trade you. So you know that you're going to be an Arizona Cardinal. So you deleting it just seems very emotional. It seems very young and immature. But also, Kyler Murray is young right now. He's, what, 24, something mm-hmm. like that? So, you know, I think certain instances like that where he's got to show more maturity as far as being the leader of this franchise, the face of the franchise. I remember somebody was saying how last year, Buda Baker, he got injured in, in a game, and everybody was basically coming, you know, coming to Buda Baker to go ahead and surround him, give him the support. We all know what happens as a player whenever you get injured and you're carted off the field, things like that. Kyler Murray was just over there on the sideline. And, or should I say he was sitting on the bench and just little things like that. It's very minor, but it also it's also very symbolic. It speaks volumes. And just little things like that, obviously, I think as he gets older in this league, he will learn some of the errors of his ways in his younger years. But all of that's got to come in time. But now that he has got the back, you are the face of the franchise, not just because you were number one overall drafted. Now you're one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the league. So now you have to carry yourself in that same regard. Stanford route. The former Oakland Raider is with us. So one of the things I'm worried about is the offensive line. Raiders fans are worried about it. Flip side of it, I do like being around coaches because they're generally, especially publicly, going to be like, calm down. It's going to be okay. But we do have a line here with the Raiders where left guard, right guard, and right tackle are a question. And you've got candidates John Simpson, Dylan Parham, uh, Brandon Parker, Alex Leatherwood, Jermaine Illuminor, Lester Cotton, and Denzel Good. Good is the most accomplished guy, but he's also coming off an ACL 10 months ago. I know you played a while ago. How many times have you seen linemen come back from an ACL and they're good to go on short notice? 
Oh, that's very tough because we all know an Achilles usually takes about a good, about a good year and a half to get back to your full potential, get back to exactly where you were. You'll be able to come back and still be able to play on in about nine months. And we look at the running back for the Los Angeles Rams. I forget his name right off the top of my head. Who, yeah, Cam he, Akers. His, he was in, in, yeah, exactly. Cam Akers. He injured in what, July? And was playing in the Super Bowl for crying out loud. But it's going to take a while for you to get back to where you were with that full explosion, the strength, all of that. So obviously for an offensive lineman, he needs his ankles. He needs his knees. He has to get all of his explosion from somewhere. So that's going to be very difficult to come back from and to be full strength, full speed right away rather than going ahead and just allowing everything to naturally get back into the full swing of things. And that way you're at your, full, you're, you're at your highest level of optimum. Uh, performance let's close on this one i don't know if you saw the story uh you know you're a big texas area guy <laughs> you know there's uh well first of all tell us about the fan bases your impression of the fan bases with texas tech and tcu Oh, wow. Uh, I can tell you like this, guys. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie Varsity Blues or if you've seen Friday Night Lights or anything like that, but Texas is king. I mean, sorry, football is king in Texas. That's number one. So any college in the state of Texas is going to have, let's just say, a reputable fan base. But when you look at the TCUs, the Texas Techs of the world, they have a decent fan base, but it's not like University of Texas. It's not like A&M. It's not like what now Baylor has become since Baylor has become a, uh, a, a stalwart in the Big 12 as far as on the football side of things. So that's number one. Yeah. But when you look at uh, the grand scheme of things compared to a lot of other schools, Texas Tech, the, uh, the TCUs of the world still have what you would call an above average fan base as far as just that 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 natural fandom and the feeling yeah. that you get when you're riding past the tailgaters into that stadium on a Saturday morning. Well, the reason I brought up TCU and Texas Tech is, I don't know if you saw this one, TCU hosts the Red Raiders. TCU will not allow Texas Tech fans to buy tickets for the game unless they buy multi-game packages. I mean, come on. <laughs> come on! Because oh, apparently wow. there's like 50,000 Tech alums in the Dallas area. That's almost kind of like I remember when uh, the 49ers were playing the Rams in the NFC title game yeah. and the Rams were trying yeah, to basically yeah. not sell tickets yeah. to anybody that had like a 415 area code yeah. or they had a billing address <laughs> that was in that Bay Area type of region. Like I think that, you know, when you get to that, man, like now I'm not going to say that's Bush League, but that's just it, it's, it's, Bush just, it's overkill. It's, Bush it's just unnecessary. Yeah. Like. Like, okay, I get it. I understand it. You want the entire stadium. You want Amanji Carter Stadium to be a sea of purple and white and black or something like that. You don't want to see, you don't want there to be any red in the stadium. I can understand that, but it just, you know, something my mom always taught me like, do one to others as you want others to do one to you. So, like, just would you want somebody to do that to y'all if you were going to, to, to their stadium? Like, I, I, I understand it. I definitely understand it. I just don't agree with it. Weak. Weak. Come on. Football is king. Let the fans come out, whoever wants to come out. Stanford, we appreciate it. You have a good weekend. Thank you so much. Matt, you guys be good. Be safe. I'll talk to you next week. There he is. Stanford Route, the former Oakland Raider. Yeah, Texas Tech. I guess I'm I guess I back Texas Tech in this battle, but uh in general, Texas Tech can stuff it. Because uh boy, did I enjoy Chris Beard leaving Texas Tech. Oh my god, did I and going to Texas? Because you remember these same jabronis when Chris Beard was stolen from UNLV after two weeks and Texas Tech people were like, well, it's the way it goes. Yeah, everything's it's fair. 
Yeah, what are you going to do? This and then, is and, business. Yeah, and then when they get robbed by Texas, the biggest whiner's going. Yeah. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. All right, rolling on here towards the 5 o'clock hour. Steve Weich, NFL Network, is going to be in. He's been out at the Raiders facility earlier in the week, so we'll get into that. And then a lot more on Derek Carr. I really like what Carr had to say today about how the the offense is clicking from a maturity and experience standpoint. So that's coming up in about 20 minutes. So we know San Diego State is in the middle, we think, of this conference realignment stuff. It looks like the Aztec programs have a good, the school has a good path to get to the Pac-12. J.D. Wicker's the AD. He was on with Q last night on ESPN National, and he rolls out a lot of the positive. You know, it's a national interview, so he's kind of throwing out and uh, the positives and pimping SDSU for Power 5. We have had a lot of outreach, obviously. Um, I have relationships with athletic directors. I have long-term, you know, long-time relationships with people that work in conferences, people that used to work in conferences. So we've just tried to have outreach and remind people of who we are, what we are, and all the great things that, you know, one we're doing and one we've done. You mentioned it. I mean, we're 12 straight years. We've been bowl eligible. Uh, we're 7-2 and two against the Pac-12 since 2016. Uh, and what we've done, you know, on the basketball side as well, we were, you know, we were arguably a, a potential Final Four team in 2020 before COVID wiped out the NCAA the tournament. school has a lot going for J.D. Wicker, the AD, uh, then answers the question, hey, when do you think a decision is coming? Like, what's the timetable for the Pac-12? Exclusive negotiating window, as various people have reported, you know, closes in early August. And if something happens there, then, um, you know, they'll probably be making moves sooner rather than later. But if, you know, they don't get what they want out of that exclusive negotiating period, I, my assumption would be they go out to the open market and then who knows how long it takes. So, um, you know, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing, preparing for, uh, you know, this upcoming season. We've got a strategic operation plan that we put in place uh, a lot. We've been working on for some time. It's a similar path of how Utah prepared themselves to go into the, uh, the Pac-12 way back when. And this is something that we just happen to be working on. It's, it's coming at a really good time. So we're going to wrap that up and, you know, we're going to keep preparing for a future where we hope we're, you know, established at that next step that's going to keep us competitive top of FBS. Boo! Okay. J.D. Wicker, nothing against him. But I'm booing on behalf of UNLV and UNLV fans. If San Diego State gets to go to the Pac-12, should UNLV fans be pissed off? No. Like, why not us? Uh, No, because... I think that San Diego State should be the first team out, and in reality, the flip of the flip side of that is UNLV fans should be okay. We're next, like they've paved the way. But I don't think that UNLV should go ahead of San Diego State. I think San Diego State is the automatic from the Mountain West. Why okay. would UNLV be ahead of them? Because it's Las Vegas. I think that Las Vegas. I think that's the reason that UNLV should be ahead, should be ahead of. Fresno State or Colorado State? Fresno, the last couple of days, and it's most, it's no, no one is sourced Hype. 
Yeah, no one is sourced on this one. Like, I've seen multiple reports. The announcement's tonight. The announcement's tonight. The announcement's right. tonight. Um, nothing has happened. I, I'll say I would be shocked if it's Fresno State, but, I mean, I guess I've been shocked before. I'm starting to think in some ways that if the Big 12 tried to be jerks and they're like, screw it, man, you guys aren't moving fast enough on San Diego State, uh, do you think – Yes. Vegas and San Diego State would have a better chance of getting together as a tandem to the Big 12? Oh, I think that as a tandem. Than the Pac-12. In, a general, in general, if they if they form a union, they could go in tandem. But Not yeah. form a union. The Big 12 would look like, hey, you know what? Yes. We want to be out west. Let's grab both of these. Both of them. And, and, really and by the way, the we also screw the Pac-12, yes. who seems to really like Las Vegas. 